It's hard for me to believe, but this Thursday is already Thanksgiving. Now, I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. I mean, you have family, food, and football, and that's pretty hard to beat. I love cooking during the day with my family and then just hanging out all day with them. Now, the theme for this year at St. Luke's has been a year of gratitude. And so not surprisingly, Thanksgiving is one of the high points of the year for that day. This is um, a, a day that we should be expressing gratitude. It's one of the biggest days for gratitude. But one of the things that I've noticed over the years is that I haven't always done that. I have focused on things around Thanksgiving. I've focused on the food a lot. I've uh, done the shopping list, done the cooking of the food, set the table, and I've felt thankful, but feeling thankful is not the same as expressing gratitude. And sometimes I wonder, after the end of a long, big meal, if I'm really feeling thankful or just feeling full. Thankfulness is a passive emotion, and we can feel that way, but it was never meant for us to stay there. It's not meant to be passive. That feeling of well-being and thankfulness is meant to spur us on to action, the action of giving thanks. But sometimes, if we're honest, we tend to bask in the feeling and not do anything about it. As we enter into the holiday season, first with Thanksgiving and then Advent and Christmas, this is a wonderful time for us to remember to be intentional and give thanks. One of my favorite quotes about gratitude is from G.B. Stein, who said, Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. Think about that for just a moment. Silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. We don't have to settle for just feeling thankful. We were called to give thanks. This morning's scripture comes from 1 Chronicles. Now, 1 and 2 Chronicles are part of the history section of the Old Testament, along with books like 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Samuel. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, the scholars believe that it was written much later. And so it just it isn't just recounting history, it's telling us the meaning behind that history. It's helping us see the meaning of our faith journey. Specifically, what led to a time of exile and the joy of return. That's a recurrent theme in the history. It is addressing Israel's specific history of the northern and the southern kingdoms were both conquered. The northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians, and they, the Hebrew people there were taken off into captivity and exile. The southern kingdom was conquered years later by the Babylonians, And the Hebrew people who lived there were carried off into captivity and uh, in exile for many years. At one point, they were allowed to return. And this return from exile is is a huge moment in the history, and especially in Chronicles. It has a recurrent theme of exile and return. If you remember the movie Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston... Uh, Better yet, if you remember the Bible story of Moses and the Hebrew people who were held in slavery in Egypt, 
God heard their cries and released them from slavery. Now, initially, they left Israel because of a famine, and they found their way to Egypt. And initially, things were really good there. But over the years, things changed, and they were forced into slavery. They cried out. God heard them and sent Moses to talk to the Pharaoh and tell him to set the people free. Over and over again, the Pharaoh refused, and so ten plagues came to the land. And throughout each of the plagues, the Pharaoh continued to refuse to set the people free, except at the last plague. That was the plague of the firstborn, when death came across the land. And only those who had taken the blood of a lamb and painted the front doorposts of their homes were spared. Death passed over their homes. And that was the first Passover celebration. And from that first Passover to continue to now, Jewish people of the Jewish faith celebrate Passover as a way to remember that they were once in captivity, in exile, and God had delivered them. And it was the Passover meal that Jesus called his disciples together for before he was betrayed. And it was there that he instituted the elements of Holy Communion, the bread and the wine. They serve as reminders for us of times where we've been in exile or distant from God, and that God is always present and delivers us into freedom. Now, one of the things that I find beautiful about Holy Communion is that its name, we tend to call it Holy Communion, or some of you may have grown up in traditions that refer to it as the Lord's Supper. But one of the other names for Holy Communion is the Eucharist. That's a Greek word that literally means thanksgiving. And so when we come forward for Holy Communion, or the Eucharist, it's the family of faith's Thanksgiving meal together. Now, when we focus on Thanksgiving on Thursday— The whole focus point of the meal is, it's not about the food. The meal is meant to help us celebrate with one another. It would be as if coming forward for Holy Communion, we thought it was all about the little piece of bread and the little amount of juice we get. Those are reminders, and those are ways that we celebrate and think about God's love for all of us. We don't have to be silent in our gratitude. We don't have to settle for just being thankful. We can be intentional and give thanks. And I think there are three things that we can discuss this morning that can help us do that. The first is to make it a habit to give thanks. In this passage of scripture, the author of Chronicles tells us, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We have many things that we can give thanks for, but we can start with God. We can thank God for the fact that God is good. We can be giving thanks because God's love endures forever. Before we were ever born, God loved us, and God continues to love us throughout our lives and into the next as God welcomes us into eternity. We have so much to celebrate. And yet, 
When we find ourselves in the holiday season, it seems that a lot of the busyness that surrounds the holidays kind of moves away, uh, infringes on the things that we really find important. We tend to set some of our priorities to the side because of the busyness of the season. At least I've found that to be true in, in my life on occasion. At the beginning of this year, we made a commitment to write a thank you note each day. Now, the reason for this is twofold. We're writing thank you notes because we have a need to give thanks. We're created with this, with this need. We need to express our gratitude. Now, I think it's important because we need to remember that there's someone bigger than us, and we need to give thanks to God. But I think it's also important that we remember that we're not in this life for ourselves. There are so many people who make a difference in our lives. And second, we write thank you notes to help those people who make a difference for us know that they do, know that they make an impact. We need to share with one another that their lives matter. Now, when this year started off, I was writing a thank you note every day. But as the year went on, and especially this fall, my habit of writing thank you notes really dropped off. And I was reminded of that in a couple ways here recently. It was a while back that our son Brooks started to complain about abdominal pain. But it was kind of diffuse. It seemed to come and go, and it didn't seem to be too troublesome. And so, to be honest, we didn't really think too much about it. But a few weeks ago, he called me from school and told me that the pain was constant. So I went to pick him up, and it was obvious that he was struggling, and so I took him to the emergency room. And there, they discovered that he had a large hernia, and they said that he'd probably had it for a while, and they were really surprised that it hadn't caused him any other complications. And they set it up that we would meet with a surgeon to have surgery as soon as possible. Now, I just need to say that Here in this part of the country, in this part of the state, we're really blessed because we have several hospitals and medical centers, and I have visited patients in all of them, and I've always been impressed with the level of care that we have available here. We really are blessed, and I know that if Brooks had gone to any of them, he would have been treated well, and he would have had a great outcome, and we would have been blessed But we happened to live near Mercy, and so we were referred to see Dr. Randall Baker, who is a surgeon that practices out of Mercy Care Center. We saw him the very next morning, and he arranged for surgery for Brooks at the earliest possible moment. Chris and I took Brooks to the surgery center that day, and we were in the room waiting with him. He was in a hospital bed while the nurses came, and they were you know, giving him an IV and getting him ready. They were so gracious. We had several members of the medical team that would come in, and they were always uh, willing to explain the procedure and answer any questions we might have had. And finally, after the anesthesiologist, the surgeon came in, Dr. Baker, and he asked if we had any final questions, and we didn't. 
And so the moment came when they wheeled Brooks out down the hall to the surgical suite. And I have to tell you that that was just a really difficult moment for me. Now, I knew he was going to be fine. It was a routine procedure. They do tons of them. But this was my son. And so it was hard to see him wheeled away. But of course, in a couple hours, they wheel him right back in. And he had done fine. And we were able to take him home that very day. Now, he did have some significant pain for a few days. But every day, he's gotten better and better. In fact, this morning... Um, He still has some restrictions, but he is with the youth on a fall retreat, and Amy Givens is making sure he abides by the restrictions he's under. He's doing great, and uh, we couldn't say enough good things about the surgery uh, and the treatment he received. But a couple days after he got home from the surgery, he received a note in the mail, and it was from the surgical center, and they were thanking us for using their facility and wishing him well in his continued recovery. Now, they were the ones who prepared him for surgery, watched over his life during the procedure, and did the surgery to such an extent that he, all of his problems were gone, and he has had a great, easy time in recovery. And they were thanking us. And that really struck me because I had not taken the time or made the effort to thank the people who had taken such good care of my son. I thought about how I'd gotten out of the habit of saying thank you and writing thank you notes, and I really wanted to change and go back. There are 42 days between now and the end of the year, and I really want to finish strong I want to go into next year strong that saying thank you is a habit, a daily habit of my life. If you think and analyze the way you spend time during your day, how much time do you give to saying thank you? There's time given to sleep, getting up and getting ready in the morning, going to work, uh, eating, maybe things like watching television on the computer, How much time do we give to saying thank you? I have 42 days, and I want to end the year well so that it becomes a habit in my life again. I I have seen what it looks like when a habit is so ingrained in your life that it becomes second nature. I saw that immediately after Brooke's surgery. When they wheeled him back into the room with us, he was very groggy as he was coming out of the anesthesia. And I thought for a moment of those videos that you see on the internet, when people are recovering after like a wisdom, you know, they had their wisdom teeth removed and one of their family members records all the funny things they say, then they put it on YouTube and Ellen DeGeneres flies them out to their show. I thought, sure, that because Brooks is a naturally funny guy, that I could capture something on video that would win us a trip to the Ellen Show. But that didn't happen. What did happen was that when they wheeled him back in, he was so groggy, he couldn't keep his eyes open. And Dr. Baker came in just immediately following Brooks, and he started to talk to us about how he had done during the surgery, and he gave us instructions for the recovery care. 
And the entire time that Dr. Baker was in the room with us, Brooke's eyes were closed, and he didn't say anything. And so I thought he was asleep. But when Dr. Baker turned to leave the room, Brooks, still with his eyes closed, said, just a second, come back in here. And he motioned the, the surgeon back in. Dr. Baker came and stood at the head of his bed. Brooks kept his eyes closed the entire time, but he held out his hand because he wanted to shake the hand of the surgeon. And with his eyes closed, he said, thank you so much for taking good care of me. God bless. And I thought... Here is somebody who has made gratitude such a part of their life that it's second nature, that even when they're struggling and they can't keep their eyes open, they remember to say thank you. I want to be like that. Second, it's important to have reminders to say thank you. In the passage of Scripture, there are several elements of nature that the author uses to remind him of God's goodness and love. He talks about the sea, the heavens, the earth, the forest, and each of these are reminders of God to him. He, when he looks at the heavens, he remembers God. When he looks at the trees in the forest, he thinks about God. When he hears and sees the waves of the sea crash upon the shore, he's reminded of God. We all have reminders in life. I love the Thanksgiving meal. I love turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce. And every time we sit down for that special meal, I'm instantly reminded of all the Thanksgiving meals from the years past, time that I spent with family and friends. If I eat turkey or dressing at any other time of the year, I'm instantly reminded of Thanksgiving. What reminders do you have? Now, I love wildlife, but I'm not typically in a place where I can see uh, anything that might happen to pop out. So when I actually do see a deer or a hawk or even an armadillo, I get excited. I love that. And I'm instantly reminded to give God thanks for the beauty of creation. When I hear someone tell their adoption story, I'm instantly reminded to give thanks for my daughter Hannah's adoption. I saved the hospital wristband after Brooke's surgery as a visual reminder of the gift of his life, and the lesson of making giving thanks a habit in my life. Two weeks ago, I rang a carillon bell as a reminder of the gratitude I have for my grandparents' lives. They passed away several years ago, but I'm still so grateful for the memories that I have of them. We need to find and keep reminders, things that Uh, we use that talk to us about the blessings that we've experienced. In the Jewish Passover meal, every element of food is a reminder of what happened in their history. There are bitter herbs that remind them of the bitterness of slavery. And there are sweet-tasting foods that remind them of the sweet redemption and deliverance that God brought them into freedom. Jesus would call the disciples together for the Passover meal, and he took the bread and the wine, 
And those would serve as reminders of God's love for them. When we come forward for Holy Communion, the bread and the juice are reminders of Christ's love for us. What are the reminders that you have? Sal Moriello is someone, was someone who had a very specific reminder that he used. It was a jacket that connected him to a little boy. It started in 1945 when Sal Moriello was a barber in Brooklyn, New York. He had gotten off early one day and he was walking down the sidewalk when he heard a woman scream and she was pointing up and he looked up and he happened to see a little boy clinging to the railing outside of a window of an apartment building. He would discover that the little boy was just two years old and somehow had crawled through the open window to be hanging on the window ledge of his family's fifth floor apartment. Well, Sal took his jacket quickly off, and he opened it up right before the little boy fell, and he caught him in that jacket. And the little boy was none the worse for wear except for having a bloody nose. He would find out that this little boy was the son of Blanche Goldstein, and the boy's name was Marvin. Although Marvin would tell him that for years in that neighborhood, he was always referred to as Blanche's kid who fell out of the window. If Marvin walked down the street, they would say, hey, aren't you Blanche's kid that fell out of the window? Yes, that's me. Not too long after Blanche's kid fell out of the window, Sal took his family and his barbershop practice and moved to California. Now, he always felt this connection to Marvin Goldstein. He always wondered about his life. And so for many years, uh, Marvin's mother, Blanche, would send Sal and his family cards at the holidays, updating them. One year, when Marvin had had his bar mitzvah, his father wrote Sal a beautiful letter describing the event and telling him how Marvin had specifically given thanks for Sal Moriello in his bar mitzvah speech. But sometime after that, both families lost contact with each other. But Sal never forgot about Marvin. In fact, every year at their Passover celebration, Sal's family would gather together for that special meal, and they would remember and give thanks for what God had done in the history of their people, bringing them from captivity and delivering them into freedom. And they would also remember and give thanks that God had rescued and delivered Marvin Goldstein and that Sal had this special opportunity to be part of that miracle moment. Every year at their family Passover meal, they would retell the story of Passover and of Marvin Goldstein. And this went on for years and years. Forty-plus years, he wondered about Marvin. And finally, when he was 80 years old, his daughter and son-in-law decided that they were going to find Marvin Goldstein for their father. They contacted the New York Daily News, who ran a feature article titled, Desperately Seeking Marvin. The next day after that article ran, 
a um, person from the newspaper called Sal and told him that Marvin Goldstein had contacted them. And this man told Sal that Marvin had obviously grown up. He had become a psychologist. He had lectured all over the world. He was uh, chief of a division in one of the hospitals in Long Island, and he taught at Queens College. In addition, he had gotten married, and he and his wife had two sons. Well, that was all Sal needed. He was so grateful. He just wanted to know that Marvin was still doing well. But the newspaper had a surprise. They wanted to fly Sal and his wife Rachel out to New York for a special reunion with Marvin and his family. And it was an incredible time for all of them. Marvin, of course, was able to express his gratitude to Sal for saving his life. And Sal was overcome with emotion when Marvin's son came up to him and said, thank you so much for saving my dad. Without you, I wouldn't be here. Sal told the Goldsteins that that reunion day was one of the highlights of his life. And then he went on to tell them how they had always been a part of his family's Passover tradition. And he had always kept the jacket as a reminder of how God had saved Marvin and how Sal had been a part of that special moment. He was so grateful. We all can have reminders in our lives, triggers, things that spur us to give thanks. And third, we need to celebrate. Celebration is an act of giving thanks. It's a way that we express our thanks, and we don't need to do it less often, but rather we need to do it more often. We have so much to give thanks for. It doesn't have to be complicated. We can celebrate with someone's good fortune and send them a note card or give them a call. Or we can make it more formal and have someone who's a, an intentional part of our holiday celebration, like the Moriello family, including the Goldsteins as part of their Passover tradition. Or we can remember people in the most special of our celebrations, like a wedding. For Marciella Gravella, when she was a little girl, she developed a pain in her leg. And her parents took her to the doctor, and they discovered that she had a very rare form of cancer that was growing in her leg. And they told them that there was a a good chance that she would lose the leg, and her life uh, was in danger. They referred her to a surgeon by the name of Dr. Dempsey Springfield. And over the next several years, Dr. Springfield would perform several surgeries on her leg. They worked so hard for her to be able to keep it. Now, he typically didn't do more than one surgery on a patient. And so for him to do so many over the years, for her, he developed a special connection with Marciella and her family. And for her part, she was always grateful to have a familiar face when she spent so much time in the hospital. Over the years, over all the surgeries and the treatments and the therapies, she was able to enter adulthood, and they had saved her leg. Now, she had numerous scars, but she didn't mind the scars or the cane that she needed to use because they served as reminders of the journey she had been on and all that it had taken for her to be able to keep and use her leg. 
Well, just a few years ago, Marciella was married. And at her wedding, she had everything planned out. And she didn't want to just celebrate the love that she had with her new husband. She also wanted to make everyone a part because everyone had done so much for her throughout her life, including the surgeon who had helped to save her leg. And so for her very first dance, she danced with Dr. Springfield as a celebration of the one who made it possible for her to dance at her wedding. When Jesus gathered the disciples together for a Passover meal before he was betrayed, he could have used any of the elements of the Passover meal. Some are unique to Passover. Some of the food items are just eaten at Passover, but he didn't use any of the uncommon elements. He took bread and wine, the most common, ordinary food of the entire dinner. Bread and wine were something that people ate every single day of their lives. And I think that's the point. Jesus wanted something to remind the disciples and all of us every single day to celebrate and give thanks for God's love for us. Every time we sit down for a meal, every time we gather together, we can celebrate because we are confident that God is with us. We have so much to give thanks for in life. We don't want to settle for just feeling thankful. We don't want to be silent with our gratitude. We're called to give thanks each and every day. Give thanks. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.